Welcome to the Healing Embodied Podcast, where we have real and raw conversations about growth and healing that will shift your perspective in profound ways. We take a unique approach to healing the overthinking mind, creating conscious relationships, and living a life of courage and freedom. So take a deep breath and get ready to expand your mind, connect to your body, and activate your spirit. All right, everyone. Hi, welcome back to the Healing Embodied Podcast. This is Chelsea again. Uh, today I have Sarah back on the podcast. And if you didn't listen to the other episode that I did with her, I think that was episode two about dance movement therapy, how it helps you to heal relationship anxiety, process your emotions, and build a life that feels incredible for yourself. Um, Sarah is a licensed mental health counselor. She's a board certified dance movement therapist, and she is my co-coach at Healing Embodied. She's a body-mind integration expert here, basically the best of the best of the best, brilliant mind, brilliant practitioner. And today I'm having her on to talk about a topic that is very near and dear to both of our hearts, (laughs) something we've both experienced a lot of and have done a lot of work around this. And that topic is drum roll, self-doubt. We're going to talk about self-doubt, the role of self-doubt. And I actually want us to go beneath the surface of these doubts we have about ourselves and really understand what the heck is going on when we doubt ourselves. So welcome, Sarah. Yay. Thank you. Thanks for having me back, Chelsea. I'm so excited to be here and talk about self-doubt. And in addition to shame, it's one of my favorite topics ever, very near and dear to my heart. So I'm excited to be here. Ooh, dropping the shame bomb here. And you know that that's one of my favorite topics as well. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. So why don't we just start with sharing how self-doubt often manifests how it has manifested for us personally, how we have experienced it. So we'll just start like laying the groundwork, defining self-doubt. What does it look like? What does it sound like? And how has it shown up for us? So yeah, if you want to take a moment to share what self-doubt is to you and how it has shown up for you. Sure. Um, Self-doubt for me often looks like a lot of questioning, um, what I now know to be a lot of reassurance seeking. So looking outside of myself for the answers. Um, And it, it shows up, it's been pretty sneaky in my life. It doesn't just show up in like these big decisions of, you know, where do I want to go to school? Who do I want to marry, et cetera, et cetera. It shows up in really small, like day to day choices of, um, Like, what do you want to eat for dinner? Where should we go to get drinks? What what kind of beer do you want? What movie do you want to watch? Um, I find that I have in the past often felt very paralyzed in moments like that where it's a a really small, a very trivial question. Um, You know, there really is no right or wrong answer to what do you want for dinner? It's also not something that anyone other than me could possibly know because no one else is inside of me experiencing my life. And yet in those moments, I go into 
like massive extreme overthinking of, well, I have to figure out what everybody else wants to eat for dinner. And what if I say that I want tacos, but my husband really wants spaghetti and then we end up getting tacos and he's upset with it. And then he's mad at me for a week and then blah, 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 blah. That's, that's where my mind has gone in the past. That's how self-doubt often shows up for me is primarily when it comes to decision-making. Yeah. So it causes you to like question what it is that you actually want. Cause you're like factoring in so many, like what if possibilities. And so it's hard for you to just like make a decision and trust that it's okay for you to want tacos and trust like that it's, everything's going to be okay. Even if people are disappointed with tacos instead of spaghetti and yeah, the reassurance seeking, can you speak a bit more about what that looks like and how that plays into self-doubt. Yeah. So, I mean, what it's looked like for me and what I've seen a lot in clients that we work with is, so you have, you have a doubt, you're put in a position where you have to make a decision or act on something or, or do something, take some kind of action. And your mind, when it's, when you're in a self-doubting cycle, kind of tricks you into believing that you you don't know, you can't trust yourself to know, you can't find the answer, you can't tolerate whatever comes because of the decision you make. So it kind of puts you in a position where you feel really powerless and you feel like you have to look outside of yourself to get the answer. So um, asking other people, well, what do you think I should do? Um, Googling what the answer is. I've never Googled what do I want to eat for dinner, but it shows it's shown up a lot in, in relationships and um, stuff like that. But yeah, asking other people, Googling, think, comparing your thoughts and choices to other people's thoughts and choices. Well, someone else chose this. So what if that's the right answer? Should I choose that too? Um, thinking back over lots of past decisions that you've made. Well, last time that I chose tacos, they weren't that great. And my husband was really upset. So maybe I shouldn't choose tacos this time. Um, can you tell that I love tacos? And yeah, that's how it shows up for me. Just constantly looking outside of yourself. I think one of the most, um, to me now it's really silly, but a really clear example of this was my birthday last year. Um, my husband asked me, where do you want to go for your birthday dinner? And I said, where do you want to go? And he was like, Sarah, it's your birthday. Answer, just answer the question. It's I'm not choosing this. And it was just like thrown back in my face in such a comical, loving way where I was just like, oh, I, I need to lean into some decisiveness a little bit more confidently here. I love that so much. Where do you want to go? It's your birthday dinner. Um, a word that stuck that stood out to me when you were talking about reassurance seeking and doubting your own decisions. The word that stuck out to me was should. You said should and shouldn't a couple times. And I think the shoulds play a huge role in doubting ourselves. I know it was for me because there's so many shoulds out there. There's so many things that we're told we should do, how we should feel, how we should look, you know, the, how a decision should feel, how we should feel in a relationship, what a relationship should look like, what all these shoulds that we're constantly bombarded with. And for me, as a more highly sensitive person who 
didn't actively learn how to trust herself. I just blindly absorbed and internalized all these shoulds. So that just perpetuated this belief that I can't trust myself. And it perpetuated the experience of me doubting myself. Cause I, again, that comparison you talked about, like, okay, well, I'm feeling this way or I'm wanting this, but I probably shouldn't, or this, this says that I, I should feel this way or I shouldn't feel this way. So again, that, that outsourcing, instead of anchoring in, into my own unique experience or my own unique desires, we, or I would really internalize these shoulds and kind of measure myself up against them. And when I wouldn't measure up, when I would feel something or experience something that I learned that I shouldn't feel or experience, I would feel shame. If Hey, shame. Hey. If my experience, my emotions, my decisions didn't measure up to what I perceived I should feel or do or experience, then I would feel shame. It was an immediate powerlessness of I must be doing something wrong if I'm feeling X, Y, and Z, or if I want to choose X, Y, and Z. I must be the problem. So let me just keep think like let me just keep overthinking this decision because i need to make sure that i'm doing it right i need to make sure i'm feeling the right way and and picking the right thing but do you want to speak to shame and shoulds in your experience yeah definitely um another thing and i think this this will lead me into talking about shame and shoulds but something that stuck out to me while you were talking was um that the longer you are in this cycle of, but what should I do? How should I be feeling? Comparison, self-doubt, the more you lose access to knowing what you want. So I'm thinking back to times in my life that I felt self-doubt. And sometimes it's, you know, I'm put in a position of, I need to make a decision or do something. And I know what I want, or part of me knows what I want, even if it's a really quiet voice, I'm aware of it, but I'm feeling so paralyzed by the fear of acting on that. And what if something goes wrong? What if it's not the right choice? Um, And other times I'm put in a position of needing to make a decision or share a need or desire. And I genuinely don't know because I've never been, you know, I maybe wasn't in a situation where I could feel safe to explore that. And when you are just constantly bombarded with self self doubt and shoulds and expectations you you do really lose sight of what you want i can't even count how many times clients have come to us and we've said like so what are you wanting what are you looking for in your relationship or in your life and they're they stop and they're just like i don't i, I don't know i don't know um and that's where we get to lean into creativity but we'll come back to that later <laughs> so back to shame and shoulds um Yeah, a lot of the shoulds, I think, in my life have been very, very quiet, maybe not as explicit as some of the shoulds that you've experienced, Chelsea, like in your experience with um, your religious upbringing. Um, It was a lot of just what I saw modeled for me and what I saw being praised and validated. Um, Like I have two older brothers who are fantastic. We're best friends. Um, I always perceived them as being 
highly successful individuals um, and I would see that they would succeed at something and people would praise them. My parents would praise them. Their friends would say, hey, you did great. Um, it was a cool thing. All the family would come to watch, you know, my brother's piano recital and everyone was so blown away at how talented he was. And, and I think I just internalized from that, like, oh, you should succeed. People should be praising you. People should be validating you. This is what should be happening if you're doing things right. Um, I can't think of a time I was ever told, like, you have to do it right, or you're a bad person, or if you're not successful, then you're a failure. I don't think I was ever given that messaging explicitly, but just my my little growing brain and body just internalized it as this is this is what's right. This is what needs to happen. This is what you do. So I would just constantly be trying to measure up to that. And if I either didn't receive the level of external praise or validation that I thought I should have, or if it just, yeah, I guess if it just wasn't as good as I thought it should be, um, based on, you know, this comparison mindset, then to me, that felt like same as what you're describing of, well, then I must be doing something wrong. I didn't do it good enough, so I need to do better. And yeah, just spiraled from there, I would say. Yeah, I think that's that your experience comes with the territory of being a highly sensitive person. It's like you're as a child, a highly sensitive child, you're constantly picking up on your environment and you're like hyper aware and highly sensitive to so many different things. So even though like your brother is being praised for being good at piano is a beautiful, amazing thing. Sometimes a highly sensitive child who still sees the world in a very black and white way might go, okay, like if I perform really well, then I get love and praise and acceptance. And if I mess up, then, then I don't get that. And that's bad. And so I think this is also like self-doubt specifically, I think is tends to be a more of an issue for those who are more sensitive and are more sensitive to their external environment, other people's emotions and other people's perceptions of them. And yeah, I mean, what do you think about, about that? Like just being highly sensitive and doubting yourself. Oh, absolutely. I think just being born a highly sensitive individual plays into it so, so much. I use this example with clients a lot is that it's not always that, you know, you come home with a report card that has straight A's and your parents praise you and they put it on the fridge and then you come home with a report card that has straight A's and one B, trigger warning, Chelsea, sorry. Um, and your parents say like, oh, you're a failure, you suck, you should get all A's. It can be that you come home with that report card with all A's and one B and your parents say, oh, good, good job. And it just wasn't quite as expressive as the last time. That's such a very subtle shift, but a highly sensitive empathic individual is going to feel that so deeply. And that's going to take root that, oh, well, this one, this wasn't good enough. This wasn't big enough. Um, yeah, the highly sensitive individuals, we're going to feel it. Just we're going to feel all the subtle shifts and we're going to feel it much more deeply than maybe someone who isn't quite as sensitive will experience it. Yeah. And, and from these little experiences, we form these 
<clears throat> kind of core beliefs. And it's all happening on an unconscious level. It's it's not like you said, it's not always explicit that we hear, oh, if you don't do it perfectly and you get that B, I'm disappointed in you. I mean, some parents do explicitly say that, but we we form these core beliefs based on our experiences, based on what we hear from our parents or seen modeled from what we hear in society. We form these core beliefs that it that if I get it wrong or if I disappoint someone else then there's a part of me that's fundamentally unlovable or maybe i'm not enough and so i, I kind of want to now talk about so what does self-doubt do then how does self-doubt actually serve us like it, it's self-doubt gets a bad rap it's like don't doubt yourself go for it but why do we doubt ourselves like how does it actually help us in kind of a backwards way. Yeah, I mean, it serves to try and keep you safe. If the unconscious belief, if the internalized belief is, if I do something wrong, or if I'm not good enough, then I'm going to be unlovable, then I am bad, then I am wrong. That's a horrible consequence, right? So you're your self-doubt is going to kick in to attempt and keep you safe from experiencing that, to keep you safe from experiencing unworthiness, unlovability, abandonment, loneliness, grief, pain, all of those kind of emotions that are really heavy and difficult to feel. Self-doubt is attempting to keep you safe from that. And sometimes self-doubt is a good thing if you're going to you know, make a really uh, snap, impulsive, unsafe choice, it's actually good that self-doubt kicks in and says, Sarah, think about this. Like, is this actually what you want to do? Is this in line with your values? Is this going to have the result that you're needing and hoping for here? So it it can be like actually literally helpful sometimes, but it's it's coming from a place of attempting to keep you safe. Yeah. So, and, and there can be this tipping point where self-doubt is destructive. Like you, you mentioned like, okay, it can be helpful if you're like, I'm going to do something totally impulsive that is very destructive. Self-doubt might be like, Hmm, maybe we want to think about that one again. Are you sure you want to do this? But what we find, you know, in our own experience and the people we work with who are also highly sensitive people is that the self-doubt comes in on overdrive and tries to protect you from any perceived risk or discomfort or you know slightly disappointing someone or it catastrophizes the consequences of making mistakes which are part of the human experience like we we can't 100% avoid making mistakes and i mean i have a whole philosophy it's like who even says that's a mistake anyway right like but that's a whole other TED talk. Um, so we we can't live this perfect life. And what self-doubt does, it goes, okay, if I can just get you to overthink and question everything and everything, everything and anything before you do it, then maybe you won't experience disappointing other people, regrets, pain, loss, grief, feeling like you've 
you know, been a horrible person, shame, failure. If I can just get you to overthink a million hours, you know, spend 7,000 years overthinking and ask everyone and everyone, everyone and anyone around you, if I can just get you to do that, then maybe you will come to the right, quote unquote, right decision. And once you come to that right decision, then you will experience only positive feelings and you won't experience any negative feelings. You won't experience any heavy, messy, icky feelings if you can just make sure that you pick the right thing all the time. And so self-doubt is like, well, are you sure? How can you be sure? Let, let's make sure, let's ask this person. Let's ask that person. Let's like overanalyze. Let's think about it over and over and over and over and over again. And so it it does that in an attempt to protect us from discomfort. And this is kind of leading me into how self-doubt and overthinking really work together as this hyper-protective mechanism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, we're overthinking in an attempt to, like you said, avoid the unpleasant emotions. Um, Can also, I, talk about this all the time it can also show up as the like almost underthinking in a way like for years and years and years of my life I was just like chill good vibes only go with the flow anything's fine where do you want to eat I don't care what movie do you want to watch doesn't matter whatever you want I'm cool and I told myself that it was just because I'm just a very calm person. I don't feel anger. I don't really get annoyed. I don't really get upset. I've never met a human who doesn't get annoyed, angry, or upset. Um, it wasn't until years later that I really realized that this was actually just my my self-doubt's attempt at keeping me safe, because if I just don't ever make a decision, then I can't possibly risk making the wrong decision. Um, if I just outsource all decision-making to everybody else and play it off as, oh, I'm, just, I'm fine, I'm fine with whatever, then I never put myself in the position of making a mistake, doing something quote-unquote wrong, upsetting someone else. Um, and what happens is it just keeps you stuck. It just, you, you either never make a decision because you're terrified of finding the wrong one or you never make a decision because you just outsource decision making to everybody else and you just stay stuck oof i love that so much it's like the other part of self-doubt is you know if i just never have desires if i just never like make a bold move in my life then i won't experience disappointing other people or, you know, experiencing the emotion of regret or disappointment. If I just don't have anything that I want to try or go after, if I don't have any aspirations, if I don't ever actually take any risks, if I don't make any bold claims or statements about what I want or what I think or how I feel, if I'm constantly either just questioning them or pretending that I don't have them at all, then I won't have to feel those feelings that I don't want to feel. And so since we understand that self-doubt and overthinking is a protective mechanism against these sticky, heavy emotions like disappointment, regret, grief, shame, how then can we move past doubting ourselves? I mean, no one's going to like this answer, but you've got to get comfy with feeling 
regret, shame, uh, disappointment, loneliness, all of that stuff that the overthinking and the self-doubting is trying to prevent you from feeling, you actually have to feel it because then you, I mean, you learn how to move the energy through your body. You also learn that it's not going to kill you, that it's it's actually not going to be the end of the world if you feel regret or if you disappoint another person. Some regrets are heavier than others. Some disappointments are more hurtful than others. Um, but it's actually not, it's not going to kill you. You actually learn how to feel them and you get to witness yourself feeling them and get to step back and say, wow, look, I just, I just did that. I tapped into that. I felt that and I'm I'm okay. I lived to tell the tale. It was uncomfortable, but it wasn't unsafe. So Sarah, what you're telling me is that there's not actually a way to ensure that I can make the right decisions. I thought you were going to tell me the secret code of how to know like what decisions to make. I'm mad at you. Um, <laughs> we, we definitely get that from our clients. So like, wait a minute. So you're wait, I thought there was going to be some certainty here or even the, the, the highly praised intuition. Well, if you just follow your intuition, it's always going to feel, you know, you're never going to make a mistake. You're never going to experience regret. And sometimes I think we use this, we put intuition on a pedestal because we still think that if we can perfectly hear our intuition that we still won't make a mistake. So (laughs) busted, busted y'all. Um, Sarah is exactly right. We have to actually learn to have disappointment, grief, uh, the discomfort of disappointing others. We have to have that in our emotional wheelhouse. We have to include that as part of the human experience. Even if you make a decision, I'll give an example. We, we bought a house, um, about a year and a half ago, we moved away from the city and up into the mountains. And even though like, there's so much good that came from that decision, we have so much more space. It's way more, way lower cost up here where we live versus the city. Um, You know, we have this beautiful view of this forest, all these good things came from it. Guess what? There are still things that I grieve the loss of. There are still things that I feel disappointed about. So even though this was a good decision, even if you make a decision that's quote unquote good for you, you're still going to feel grief because in choosing one thing, you're you're saying no to another thing. In choosing to, to live up here, I now have to drive 40 minutes to go to a dance class instead of 10 minutes. So if we can actually just become friends with, the possibility of feeling disappointment, sadness, regret, um, the discomfort of disappointing others. If we can actually just make friends with that, then we don't need self-doubt anymore because we learn that it's okay and that it's safe to feel those things. So therefore we don't need all these hyper-protective mechanisms to make sure we don't feel those. Yeah. And I mean, another big part of it for me was also tapping back into my worth. I think for so long, I, I deemed myself as worthy because I can make other people smile because I can make other people laugh because I can make other people feel good and help them be happier. And I think that is a 
beautiful characteristic of me, that is not why I'm a worthy human being who deserves love and connection and joy. And so when I was really just deeming myself worthy because of those things, of course it was terrifying to disappoint someone else because in my mind then if I disappoint someone, if they're upset with me, then I am not worthy. Then the thing that makes me worthy as a human is no longer there. So when I started kind of extracting my worth from how I made other people feel um, and really tapped back into it as just an inherent thing that I have because I'm a human on this planet, um, it stopped being quite as scary to disappoint other people. It's still uncomfortable, but it wasn't terrifying anymore. Bingo, bingo. That's the money right there. Yes, mic drop. So true. And that was such a huge part of my my healing and my ability to overcome self-doubt and be able to trust myself is to actually trust that I am inherently worthy. And if I make a mistake or if I choose a relationship and it fails down the road, you know, that was a huge thing that I kept doubting myself about that. I'm still worthy that I'm, that I'm actually resilient, that I'm actually able to learn and grow and evolve from any and all decisions I make. And I'm, I'm not here to get it right. I'm not here to live this, live on this earth and show up to my grave, never having made a mistake and never have gotten messy. I, it's not only is it okay for me to be messy and make mistakes, it's human. And because I'm human, I'm worthy. And, and all of it is part of the human experience, the joys, the the decisions that go really, really well and the decisions that are disappointing, all of it's part of the human experience. And we're here to experience all of it. And we're we're worthy in all of it. We're worthy when we're disappointed. We're worthy when we disappoint others. We're worthy when we fail, whatever that word actually means. We're worthy when things don't go the way that we hoped that they would. We're worthy in all of it. Yeah. And tuning into my own worth and tolerating or learning how to feel and how to tolerate these kind of denser, heavier emotions has also made me actually so much more like compassionate and empathic towards others and, and much more able to hold their worth as well. Like I was so tied up in this, like, focus on the other person, you have to make the other person happy. But actually, by tuning it inward, I've been able to hold more space for other people's emotional experience and their own worth as well. Because then when they mess up, when they disappoint me, which happens because, hello, we're humans, just like I'm going to disappoint other people, I feel the annoyance. I feel the whatever comes up, but I'm able to just work through it versus like, how dare you? How dare you disappoint me? How dare you show up late to this meeting? How could you possibly do this? And then it turns into a relational rupture. It just becomes like, hey, that was annoying that you did that. Oh, sorry, my car broke down. Oh, cool. Thanks for sharing that. Like it, you know, it it, it just, I can hold so much more space for their own, hum their humanity too, as well as mine. Oh, I love that so much. Like when we have more capacity to see our worth and acknowledge our humanness, 
we're able to extend that same level of grace and compassion and understanding to other people. Because if we hold ourselves to this perfectionistic standard, we're probably going to begin to hold other people to that perfectionistic standard. And you might find yourself getting more disappointed or more irritated or whatever it is. So being able to embrace the fullness of who you are allows you to do the same for other people. And that's so friggin' beautiful. Absolutely. So, I mean, Chelsea, for you, what have been some of your most important milestones or pillars in learning to really hone in on your worthiness and your humanity? What's helped you get there? Oof. Yep. What you were saying earlier, like that my worth isn't dependent on being right or being perfect or never making a mistake or having the perfect relationship or having everyone like me that my, my worth is it's this internal core thing that I can tap into and access. It's always there. And then it's, it's nowhere outside of me because I, I learned growing up that I'm actually inherently unworthy. (laughs) I'm inherently unworthy. And it is only by the grace of God that I'm not burning in hell right now. Um, So I I had to really, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I had to really flip the script, which was terrifying and really difficult to do because it's, the, the unworthiness wounds are so embedded into your sense of self. It it's, it's cellular. So I had to do a lot of work in my body around feeling worthy. Like, what does that even feel like to feel inherently worthy? Because the unworthiness felt like so much clenching and cinching and closing off and like being small and to go from feeling unworthy to feeling worthy, which to me is open and receptive. And there's this sense of flow and ease and also anchoring and groundedness to go from unworthiness to worthiness. It was a journey. (laughs) And there was also a lot of grieving. I had to grieve the fact that my inner child was taught those things. And I also had to access anger to actually allow myself to be angry at the fact that my younger self was taught that she was inherently unworthy and deserving of eternal torment. And when I access anger, anger is the emotion that shows us that we are worthy of protecting. We feel angry because we're worthy of feeling angry, that that our sense of self was harmed. And when we feel anger, then that that brings us back into our power that bring that begins to turn on our sense of worthiness so i had to actually start to feel angry because when we feel unworthy when i felt unworthy i often defaulted to shame which is powerlessness and something is wrong with me and anger says hold up mm, that was fucked up that is not okay And I began to access power. And through that, I began to feel that I was worthy, that my inner child was also worthy of protecting, that she was worthy of making mistakes, that she 
like it's it was okay for her to be human and explore so it was a it was a lot of work <laughs> it's a lot of work i love that that is that is a a lot of work it's not something you can just teach someone <laughs> in a podcast right um yeah and it sounds like it was very much embodied learning for you um yeah same here i mean a lot of mine we you and i have very different upbringings and like family experiences. Um, but for me, it was a lot of learning how to feel unpleasant and uncomfortable emotions. Anger was a huge one for me. Um, anger and grief were, were really big ones for me, just literally like bare bones. How do I feel this emotion? Um, one that it's okay to feel it, that it's not a bad thing. It doesn't make me bad, but also just literally, how do I feel this? How do I feel this emotion in my body? And how do I move with it? What do I do? Um, exploring that in my body was a huge one. Because like I said, for years, I was just like, good vibes only, you know, like, I don't get angry, I don't feel that I don't have those emotions. So when I started tapping into them, it was like, it was terrifying. It was like, I don't, I'm not supposed to feel this. There's that supposed to again, right? I'm not supposed to feel this and I don't know how. So yeah, learning how to feel those emotions, um, worthiness, really anchoring into my worthiness and my body um, and trust. Trust was a huge one for me. Trust that I, I can make decisions, believe it or not, I'm, I'm capable of making choices and I'm capable of tolerating whatever comes because of those decisions. Um, and as I did a lot of work with that, um, that has also begun extending beyond just me and self-trust. I, I would say more recently in the past couple of years also had a discovery that in in my lack of self-trust and my self-doubt, I was also not trusting others. I was kind of fragilizing other people. Like, I'm so terrified to disappoint them because what if they can't handle it? I don't trust that they can handle their own discomfort. Um, and as I've learned to handle my own discomfort, I can lean into trust that other people can do that too. They, they're infinitely more capable than I was giving them credit for. That was a harsh pill to swallow i will say that um but because i was i felt a lot of shame that i'd been fragilizing kind of downplaying other humans um but yeah that's been a huge somewhat more recent layer for me too oh hot damn that i mean let's all just talk about that again let's all just i just want to like i want us to all really digest that okay when you don't trust yourself to handle discomfort, you don't trust other people to handle this, their own discomfort. And so it intensifies your fear of disappointing other people because you don't trust that they can handle their own emotions. But that's actually a projection because you haven't learned to handle your own emotions and your own disappointments. So, oh, sorry, not sorry. Like, woo. And once you learn, I can handle disappointment, I can tolerate my own discomfort. That allows you to trust that other people can do the same. And you don't need to contort yourself and bend over backwards to make sure that you never make anyone else uncomfortable. And here's an, another layer. If someone can't handle their own discomfort, that is their job. 
they can go to therapy like we did. Okay. <laughs> they can do the, the years and years of hard work that we had to do self-inquiry, self-awareness, practicing new habits. They can do that. And don't rob someone the opportunity to do that. Don't rob, don't take that away from someone because if they can't handle their own discomfort, what a beautiful journey it would be for them to learn how to do that. How much more freedom would they experience? So don't rob someone else of the opportunity to learn how to handle their discomfort. So I think, I mean, I don't know if there's anything more to say after that mic drop, Sarah. I'm going to start using that one. Next time I disappoint someone, I'm going to say you're welcome for this beautiful opportunity to learn how to handle your own discomfort. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Yeah, y'all, if you use that line on someone, um, do not do not tell them where you learned it, okay? Because people are going to be coming after us after that. Oh my God. I love it so much. How do we do this every time, Sarah? We talk and it's like an hour when I blink and we've been talking for an hour. So I, this is such a juicy conversation and self-doubt and overthinking your decisions and overthinking everything. It, it kind of puts you in this mental trap. Um, and actually a couple months ago, Sarah and I ran a free masterclass called behind the scenes of overthinking where we go more in depth with overthinking why we do it, why the mind does this and how to really break free of this. We ran a masterclass a couple months ago and I've actually made the recording available to you all for free. So if you want to learn more about how to shift this habit of overthinking everything, overthinking everything you do, overthinking all your decisions, Go check out that free masterclass. It's about an hour long. Um, the link will be in the podcast description. What do you call it? Is that what you call it? The link will be somewhere around this podcast. I'm new to podcasting. So I'm like link in bio for like Instagram, but the link is somewhere near this podcast square. So <laughs> you can register for that free uh, masterclass behind the scenes of overthinking. And I hope you learn lots of juicy stuff from that as well. But thank you so much, Sarah, for being here. We always have the best conversations. It's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chelsea and listeners. So nice being back. All right, everyone. We will chat with you next time. See ya.